You're listening to a CNA podcast. Hello and welcome to CNA Correspondent with me, Steve Lai. The latest escalation of violence in the Middle East has dominated headlines, and you can find extensive coverage of the conflict between Israel and Hamas on our website, cna.asia. But for this episode of CNA Correspondent, you'll hear how the citizens of a Southeast Asian nation have been caught in the crossfire. We knew about the risks and we were willing to take them. But once there, it wasn't like we imagined. This was the heaviest bombardment, since normally they shoot at the sky, but this time they were aiming on the ground as well. And the ties? Some were shot and some were burned like some of you might have heard it from the news. There are a lot more ties that have been killed that's been reported. That was a returning Thai national who is one of over 8,000 Thais who have been evacuated from Israel so far. He's one of the lucky ones. 32 were killed in the 7th October attack on Israel's soil, and 23 were captured and are being held hostage by Hamas. They account for one of the highest numbers of foreigners from any single country held captive since hostilities broke out more than four weeks ago. And for more on how Thai authorities are looking to safeguard its 30,000 citizens in Israel, I'm joined by our Thailand correspondent, Saksith Sayasombat. Saksith, great to have you on today. Hey, Steve. Good to be here. Now, let's start with events on the 7th of October. Where were you when you heard about it? And how did you learn that Thai nationals were caught up in the attack? Well, I was at home when I first saw the news flashes coming out of Israel and Gaza. And I think pretty sure like anybody else, I was stunned to hear just the order of magnitude how these events have unfolded. And very quickly, I actually had on my mind, we actually have Thai citizens over there uh, that are working there as migrant workers. How are they faring? Of course, most of the attention was on the Israelis themselves and the Palestinians, um, but it soon emerged the extent of how Thais were affected over there. And I must admit, I was a little surprised to hear that there were actually or are actually 30,000 Thai nationals in Israel. Tell us more about who they are and what they do there. So basically, the vast majority of these 30,000 Thai nationals um, that we have in Israel are migrant workers. They um, work there as farmhands, and um, they are mostly male. They are mostly coming from Isan, which is in the northeast of Thailand, a more rural, uh, in many cases, uh, impoverished or poorer region. So um, that's why they're halfway across the world uh, trying to earn a living. And how did they end up there in the first place? So this started since the late 1980s and the early 1990s when Israel was partially looking to replace Palestinians working in the agriculture sector. And they were looking around and it just happened to be a match with Thailand. Uh, and ever since then, both countries have agreed that Thailand would send migrant workers to Israel as labor force over there. And that's how it happened. So Saksith, given that this goes back to the late 1980s, and has been the steady stream in the numbers now up to 30,000, they must be making a better living and, and having a better life over there. Well, they certainly do earn a lot more money than they would back at home. We are talking um, right now about an average of $1,000 per month. And obviously, you can imagine that a large chunk of it, they would also send back home to their families. But then more often than not, despite the money, despite the fact that they are earning a lot more than they would be at home, 
some of these people are subject to substandard working conditions. We have heard reports of exploitation, for example, you know, working long hours, not getting paid on time, living in substandard living conditions, basically like small huts and everything. And let's also not forget that many of them are living in actual danger. They're exposed uh, to danger of airstrikes by, by Palestinian militants. And this is not the first time that it has happened. We have heard reports over the years of Thai migrant workers being killed by Hamas airstrikes. Um, we actually did a report about this uh, two years ago, when the last time it happened, when two migrant workers were killed. And that has raised the attention a bit about how are they being actually kept safe? Are there, for example, security drills? Are there air sirens uh, happening? Of course, the Israeli um, authorities would insist that these are commonplace, but there are also eyewitness reports that these are not commonplace over there. And then that brings us up to these current events then, uh, with Thai nationals making up a high proportion of the hostages. And we know as well that 32 were killed in the attack. How was it that so many of them were in the wrong place at the wrong time? I think you said it yourself, wrong place, wrong time. We mentioned before that many of these workers work as farmhands, and many of these farms, in this case, are close to Gaza, so directly at the front line, so to speak, when that happened. I'm saying wrong place at the wrong time because it's just a numbers game, right? Because there are so many ties out there at the front line, at the place where it happened, that naturally also results in many Thai victims. Now, having said that, there are eyewitness accounts of some Thais that have made it out of there and that are also now um, back here in Thailand. They actually said that they have heard Hamas militants who, when they were attacking um, their places, actually calling out to them in Thai, saying, uh, Thai people come out. In time, mind you. So that is something that um, was pretty striking. So that, of course, has set off a flurry of conspiracy theories here in Thailand, thinking that whether Hamas has uh, directly and specifically targeted Thai people, but at least what we can very much say for certainty is that Hamas has knowledge that they at least know that there are a lot of Thais right at their doorstep. Yeah, and tell us more about those that have returned then. You've spoken to some of them, like the person we heard from earlier. Uh, what else did they tell you? Well, they have all talked about very harrowing accounts, especially those that are were in front of Gaza. They said that it was worse than usual. I mean, I've previously talked about experiences of migrant workers before these events that have said, yes, they do get the occasional airstrike, and usually the air defense system of Israel shoots them down. But this time, this was a lot more intense and a lot more worse than what they have experienced. We have heard of people that have been injured. Uh, we have heard of people that just couldn't imagine that these things were happening. And their thoughts were just simply that they want to just get out of there. And what's been the public's reaction to these events then, watching from so far away in Thailand? How has the new Prime Minister, Sita Tawasin, how has he been handling things? I think for the public first, I think, to be very honest with you, my impression is this is the first time that the Thai public actually knows that we have so many Thais over there. Because there are migrant workers that, you know, the Bangkok middle class might not pay much attention to them because they are migrant workers from rural areas. Now, as for the government, as you just mentioned, Seta Tawisin has been prime minister just since September. This is actually his first real test of him and his government. And, well, the opinions are pretty divided on that. When this happened, and especially when the first flight of repatriated Thais touched down on Thailand, he wasn't actually in Thailand. He was in Singapore on a state visit at that time. So it definitely created the impression that he was a little bit more hands-off. But then also, it also goes to show that because he was a former CEO, he was a businessman, 
and he puts his trust on his ministers to delegate that work to them and to take care of them. Because at that first flight, when those ties were coming back, there were a bunch of other government ministers that were taking care of these people from different sectors. Now, obviously, as things went on, we have seen Prime Minister Seta taking at least a bit more of a proactive role, definitely talking about this more, and especially talking about the fate of the Thai hostages more. And we are at least definitely seeing that, yes, this is definitely on his mind. Whether or not he has actually proven himself to be, the jury is still out on this. I guess it will determine in a large part as to what happens to the hostages that remain uh, being held by Hamas as well. Saksit, this is happening far away from Thailand, and you've been reporting on CNA Forest ever since it's happened. Tell us what it's been like getting information from the ground when you're in Bangkok. I mean, it can't be easy. How are you staying on top of this story? No, not at all. But it also goes to show that, you know, Thai stories do not have to happen in Thailand, actually. So this is definitely also something new for me as well. Obviously, of course, what we can do from here is not only talk about the Thai perspective, to talk about the background, why so many Thais are there in the first place, to talk to those that have returned and their families. But then also, at least for me, I have reached out to colleagues in Israel. So I have many international friends that used to be here in Bangkok that are now in Israel or friends that are here in Bangkok and actually have traveled to Israel now to do news over there. So basically, they are my eyes and ears. And it's been very helpful to get a broader perspective of actually what's going on there and not only be narrow-minded to only focus on the Thai side of things. Yes, and to see it from the outside, but actually get the inside track on things. Very useful and very resourceful of you uh, to expand your network and help us gather as much information on this as possible. We're going to go for a short break, but next on CNA Correspondent, you'll hear the lengths that authorities are going to to get the Thai hostages released and returned, as well as the surprising efforts Israeli employers are making to convince Thai workers there to stay despite the growing violence. Are you looking for ways to make your money work harder? Tips on saving, investing or retiring early perhaps? Or advice on big-ticket decisions like buying a house or owning a car? I'm Andrea Hing, host of CNA's top personal finance podcast, Money Talks. And these are some of the things we find out for you. Each week, I get a guest to share personal stories and answer burning questions that help you make sense of the latest financial trends. Go check out the complete Money Talks playlist on the CNA app, Spotify, Google or Apple Podcasts. You're back listening to CNA Correspondent with me, Steve Lai, and Saksith Sayasombat as we turn the discussion to the efforts by Thai authorities to bring back its citizens caught up in the ongoing Middle East conflict. Here's advisor to the Thai House Speaker, Aripen Uttarasin, revealing its ongoing negotiations with Hamas. Having heard from Hamas representatives, they said they are respecting us. They will be looking after the Thais well. No one will be killed because the hostages will be the ones telling how they were treated, what Hamas is dealing with. This is what I want to pass on to you. Saksith, we'll get to the evacuation of those Thai nationals in Israel in a bit, but let's start with those being held hostage by Hamas. Do we know who they are? Well, we definitely know that most of them are Thai migrant workers from the rural north, the east. That is the extent that we know. We have heard of families um, 
that are missing their people over there. But then one thing that we have to keep in mind, yes, we do keep report certain numbers of hostages, certain number of, of victims. But the Ministry of Foreign Affairs here in Thailand, they always insist saying that this is the minimum. This is the, the minimum that we actually know. And we have also heard from, you know, for example, the returned Thai workers over there who, who said that he fears that a lot more people have died over there. And this is the assumption that we have to keep in mind over there because things are very fluid, as we like to say, very chaotic. And we actually still haven't seen the full extent of it one month after it happened. So we always have to keep in mind the numbers that we are reporting, the numbers that I say to you on air, this is a minimum. So that's why we have to say at the time that we're recording this, at least... 23 ties are feared abducted. It could be more, though. Yeah, we'll have to see how this sort of continues to play out over the days and, and possibly weeks ahead, or months even. What efforts are being made then at the moment by Thai authorities to get them released? Who's in charge or who's working on this? Well, they'll be definitely seeing a flurry of diplomatic activities to get those hostages released. We have seen the Thai foreign minister, who just recently came back from the Middle East, he went to Egypt to talk to his counterparts over there, and he also went to Qatar to talk to, uh, to his counterparts over there. Why Qatar? Because Qatar is a key intermediary uh, when it comes to the negotiations of all foreign hostages that are happening over there as well. And Qatar is also a supporter, a close ally of the militant Hamas group as well. So this is why it's crucial for Thailand. When you think about it, for all the hostages that are currently held by Hamas, 10% of all those are actually Thai nationals. This is something, when you put it in that context, it's quite huge. So this is, of course, it's important that the Thai government has a vested interest there, actually goes there and tries to talk to those at least closest to Hamas and to get a secure release over there. But then also we have seen other negotiation teams going out as well. We have heard from the advisor to the House Speaker. He was leading a delegation to Iran. Iran is also a supporter and an ally to Hamas as well. They actually have talked to representatives of Hamas in Iran. And we have heard from the Thai delegation saying that the negotiations have gone smoothly. And they say that Hamas has told them that the militant group is willing to release all Thai hostages. But they're also saying that it is currently not safe to do so because of the constant bombardment um, by the Israeli military on Gaza. Having said that, they also say that they haven't had any direct contact to the Thai hostages. They also haven't seen any proof of life of that. So basically, the word of the Hamas militants is the only thing to go by. In addition to that, we also know from our sources that uh, Thai military officers are talking in Malaysia, we do know that there's a Palestinian embassy. But having said that, these people from the Palestinian embassy, they are not in control of Gaza. So there's a different faction, but definitely it's also another point of contact that is helping there. So basically, any kind of contact very much helps there. Has Thailand ever experienced anything like this before? I mean, it must be incredibly difficult to navigate. I mean, you mentioned that Qatar is involved. And they've been speaking to people in Malaysia. They're sort of in uncharted territory, are they? Not to my recent memory. And I was trying to look up similar cases, whether or not these have happened in the past, and I couldn't find anything. But curious enough, just a little bit of a trivia here. I stumbled across a case here in Thailand that actually happened in 1972 when Palestinian militants took hostages in the Israel embassy here in Bangkok. You know, dozens of people were held hostage by Palestinian militants. Having said that this incident ended bloodless as the uh, militants were flown out uh, to Cairo. But here's a trivia part of it. It happened on the same day when the current king has been crowned, crown prince. Wow. 
good bit of history knowledge for us all. Thanks very much for that, Zaksith. We do know that so far Hamas has actually released, I think, about four hostages, U.S. citizens. Is there optimism then from Thai authorities that they will be able to get their the Thai nationals back? Well, according to what we have heard, at least according to what the Thai authorities have told us, the public, and they are saying that the signs are positive. You know, we have heard from the House Speaker's team in Iran. They say that things are going well. There have been hints from the Qatari uh, negotiating team that things are going very well as they are. But the problem is just simply we do not know. We do not have any indication or concrete confirmation whether or not this could actually happen. And, you know, we have to keep in mind, this is a war zone. We are talking about a situation where people are dying at a daily rate in very large numbers. And also we are dealing with a militant group that are saying now that they want to release all foreigners if they can. And I have to add that they have told the Thai negotiation team that they are taking good care of them. They are looking after them well because they have an interest to release those ties, to come home and, in their words, tell the truth about Hamas. But then here's the thing. Let's not forget that we have talked about the number of Thai nationals that have died. And this is among the highest number of victims of any foreign nation over there as well. So those people that are being held hostage by Hamas, we can assume that some of these people have seen their fellow countrymen killed by those that are holding them hostage right now. But at the same time, Hamas is claiming they're looking after them well so they can release them. So... I mean, this is something that goes through my mind. It is something that it's a contradiction, to say at least. Saksith, it is a very complicated situation, as you've laid out. Let's turn our attention then to the Thai nationals that are still in Israel. Are there still flights bringing them home? Authorities were quite quick to start the process when everything started on October the 7th. Very much so. And as you can imagine, any country, any nation wants to get its countrymen out because there is a high demand for that. So um, as you can imagine, that uh, Ben-Gurion airport in Tel Aviv was quite a traffic jam, to say the least. Yes. Yeah, so after the Thai embassy in Tel Aviv, who are working tirelessly at the moment, that has to be said, uh, like any other embassy is working tirelessly at the moment, after they have registered a certain amount of Thai nationals that want to come back, which was around 8,000 people, the Thai government was then also able to lay out a plan, charter their own planes, send them over there, put also ties on as many commercial flights out of Israel as they can. And we have seen then now there are over 8,000 ties that have been repatriated. But keep in mind, we earlier said that there are about 30,000 ties in Israel in total. So this is not even half of it. And the Thai government also said that everybody who has registered to want to get out is out right now, more or less. So they are scaling down the number of flights that are going back. It doesn't mean that they are not taking ties back home. And they are also saying that if there are enough people to fill a whole plane that we can charter, we will also do so. So it doesn't mean that even though things are scaling down, that no ties are coming home. There are still ties coming home, just not at the same rate as we have seen in the past couple of weeks. So that means then that some Thais are happy to stay in Israel. That seems to be the case because we have we did see reports that Thai authorities were assuring returning Thais that they would have jobs to come back to. It seems like there's a bit of a tug of war going on because, as I understand it, Israeli employers are actually trying to encourage them to stay. So how and why are they doing that? 
Well, happy is not probably not the word that I would use here. But yes, there are reports and the Thai government and the Thai prime minister, he was vocally upset about it, that apparently a large number of Thai migrant workers are still staying in Israel for a bunch of different reasons. But the emerging narrative that we are hearing over there is that some Israeli employers are incentivizing Thai migrant workers to stay with, for example, higher pay. But then also we have to keep in mind that those that are currently still staying in Israel and working in farmhams, they are definitely not near Gaza anymore. They are in different parts of the country. However, as some of you might know, that it doesn't mean that they are safe because the whole of Israel is always under attack at some point during in time. So obviously... That is one part, that we have still ties that are staying in Israel because of the money, but also because, as we mentioned before, they are earning a lot more money than they would at home. So that's just why they are staying. Those that are coming back, they are facing many difficulties. For example, A, where can they get a job that pays as well as it did before? B, some of these people also have to take a big loan to get there in the first place, and they have to, of course, pay it off. And now they have no means to pay them off as well. So this is why the Thai government has been very proactive about this. They are trying to incentivize them on their own to come back, not only certain handouts, not only low-interest loans, but they also said, for example, about retraining them for other jobs. But then, again, it goes back to the same problem saying that they wouldn't get a job here that pays them as much as they can for the same field of labor. And this is something that Thai Prime Minister Setatawisin has also acknowledged. He has said along the lines of, well, there's a reason why Thai migrant workers are going over there and we need to improve our economy so that they don't have reason to go over there. You know, difficult situation all around, especially for those stuck and having to make that difficult choice of whether to stay on in Israel with all the risks associated with that or return home and also face numerous challenges of putting food on the table. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has expressed condolences to Thailand over the deaths of the Thai nationals, and he's promised full support in rescuing Thais held hostage by Hamas. What has this conflict done for the Thai-Israel relationship? And has it changed the public's perception of Israel as a destination to live and work? It's very interesting. It's a very interesting question indeed. So, you know, we have to recall ourselves that Thailand is among the foreign countries with the highest number of victims. And, you know, even more than other Western countries, definitely more than other Asian countries over there as well. This is something, for example, that I have not seen reported elsewhere that much, that the highest number of victims are actually Thai, that are coming from far away, that are coming to Israel to live and work and earn a good living, a better living than they would back at home. So will this change Israel-Thai relations? I'm not certain about that because these ties uh, have been very strong. And you also have to keep in mind that Israel doesn't have an embassy or representation in every ASEAN country, for example. Also, it is a very popular tourist destination for Israelis themselves. Young Israelis, when they're done with the military service, one of the first destinations to hit up is always Thailand, especially Kaosan Road. But then also, one other question that is on my mind as well is the Thai public's reaction to that. Yes, of course, we're getting a lot of Thai media coverage about that. And I said earlier that it's probably the first time that many Thais actually know we have so many compatriots over there. But I was asked by a Western diplomat why there's no bigger outrage about this by Thais, that the fact that so many Thais have fallen victim over there. And I think that one answer to this is that I said before is because they are coming from a different part of the country that the people in the capital might not be interested in. But another one is also that 
because we have heard from families in the, from the northeast of people that are affected by that. They have said that they are kind of stricken with grief in some way. We have heard from one father who has lost his two sons in Israel. He is not angry at anybody. The question is, who is he supposed to be angry at? He's more angry at himself that he couldn't provide them a living to keep the sons over here, that they have to go halfway across the world and to earn a living to get a lot more money than they would be back at home, but also pay the ultimate price. So, you know, the question of the Western diplomat might be a little bit misplaced. The question is just simply, who are they supposed to be angry at? Oh, it's incredibly profound, uh, Saksif. It really does point to a, a difficult picture for those caught up in the conflict, not just the fact that they're caught up in the conflict, but the circumstances which led them uh, to be in Israel in the first place. Saxis, I want to wrap up our conversation by asking, what's your big takeaway from covering this story? What have you realized about Thailand, about Thai nationals, about the fact that so much is out of their control, they're just looking to make a better life, and where it's led them has led them to somewhere that itself has put their lives in danger. I think one thing that I definitely take away from this is that, as I said earlier, Thai stories do not have to all take place in Thailand. They can take place outside of Thailand as well. We have a big diaspora out there in the world, not only in Israel, not only in Europe, not only in the States, but everywhere in the world. And I think that's something that every other nation can connect to as well. Every nation has its own diaspora that are outside of their home country, outside of their father or motherland, trying to seek a better life. I'm an immigrant kid as well. I was born and raised in Germany. My parents left their home to seek a better life in another country, and I had the privilege to be born in that other country. I just happened to make the decision to come back here to Thailand. But it just definitely goes to show that there are people that are seeking a better life out of the country and that they are willing to take the risks to earn that living. And I think a lot of Thais realize that, not for the first time, I might add, that it's a big world out there. And it's a big world that with a lot of things happening there. Many of them not good, some of them good. But it also hits home. It literally hits home because even though this conflict is so far away, but it is hitting home. And some, unfortunately, are paying the ultimate price. And just quickly, what will you be working on in the weeks ahead? Obviously, we will be keeping an eye on this situation. Obviously, we will be keeping an eye on the hostage situation, whether or not they get out soon. And one can, of course, only hope that they are getting out soon. And we will be keeping an eye on those that have returned, how they are faring. And we will also be keeping an eye, without saying too much yet, on those that may or may not want to return. So watch the space. All right, Saksith, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Listening to Saksith, it's clear that Thai authorities are in uncharted territory and the challenges they face are incredibly complex. How events unfold in a war zone is anything but certain. But what is certain is that the duty of all those that govern is to ensure the safety and security of their citizens wherever in the world they are. The TV version CNA Correspondent airs on CNA every Wednesday at 9.30pm. You can also catch up with it whenever and wherever you like on cna.asia. Do like and subscribe to this podcast version that takes you behind the scenes with our correspondents. It's available on our website and mobile app, as well as on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Thank you for listening. Our podcast team is made up of Sai Wind, Crispina Robert, Clara Ong, and me, Steve Lyon.